Brothers and sisters, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I decided to use my dissertation title for the title for the sermon, <laughs> uh, In God's Custody, the Church. Uh, that's a portion of that title. Uh, but um, we're starting a new sermon series in this book of Revelation, and um, it gives me a great joy and privilege to uh, preach from this book now that I've been in the ministry since 1994. Um, I feel a little bit more confident than then when I passed my examination fairly decently, uh, but I had great worries about the final portion of it. So you go through all the loci, as we call them, the topics of the doctrine of God, of man, of Christ, of uh, the church, uh, and then finally the last things. And I was just kind of worried about that. I, uh, I just didn't feel that I had a real good grasp of all these different positions at all, and then the suppositions that you have, and I was really worried about that. God that day was very gracious. He didn't give me an extraordinary amount of illumination. He just directed the body there to not even ask me one question about it. <laughs> so, that was a good day. <laughs> um, I have never preached from the book of Revelation in all these years, except passages here and there. Um, so... I don't know what your expectation level is, but uh, I don't want to uh, create too high of an expectation or too low, um, but I basically present to you what the Bible, I think, teaches. Um, and then that probably is informed, because we all interpret, right? We all are called to interpret. And so I come basically from what we call an amillennial perspective. I'm neither post, I'm neither preterist, I'm neither pre- um, and I'm not dispensational. Um, so, last book of the Bible. Um, why do Christians, why do pastors often not preach from this book? Because it is intimidating. All these numbers, all these symbols, all these strange creatures that are talked about, the seven spirits before the throne, the four living creatures... Um, the great prostitute, uh, all these things that you say, whoa, what is all this? Um, and the problem with that is that we're robbing ourselves from the intent that is behind this book. So in God's providence, we have this, the book end of the books that are ordered in God's providence to the history of the church eventually when the canons were put together of Old Testament and New Testament and so the revelation um, of the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 1 um, is itself part of that entire book so we don't have different, distinctly different revelations in all those books but what we have is the book of Revelation is no different essentially from all of Scripture. Because all of Scripture is God's self-disclosure to us. In Genesis, He discloses Himself. He unveils 
as it were, himself, when he is presented to us as the creator of the universe. And the magnificence of his wisdom and might and power to create all that we see still around us to a degree today. Um, we are told then in the unfolding of scripture that this God who is the author of life, who stands at the beginning of life, he also stands at the end of life in this world, uh, but he is the one who can create life out of nothing. And he can create life out of the misery and fallenness of this broken world so that we as Christians can say, brothers and sisters, we're going to be here together for a while. We're going to enjoy each other's company. But the day is coming when the master calls and we listen to his voice now in order to be prepared for when he calls. And that may be today when he calls me or you or anybody else of his children. And then, of course, in the, in, the, in the grand way, when the Lord comes again on the clouds and he brings his children home for good forever. The church is bride. It's a beautiful book. You should read it. In fact, we're encouraged to read it. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, so that is kind of by way of introduction. Um, God is presented in the Bible, but also specifically in the book of Revelation, as the one who is the custodian of his church. Uh, as a custodian, he is uh, committing himself by oath, uh, sacred oath and loyalty, uh, to be the foundation on which the church uh, rests its, its hope and rests it's predicament because when we hear these words that we read a moment ago, we are finding out that it wasn't an easy time to live in that moment of John's day. It's most likely Diocletian, the emperor, uh, who was alongside other emperors, not a very nice person. And uh, under Diocletian, too, there were persecutions. And his exile on the island of Patmos is an expression of that. It is an expression of the tribulation in general sense that the church experienced then and has continued to experience throughout the world. Not universally and at the same uh, uh, intensity. It, it has always been kind of locally, regionally, maybe nationally. Um, but it sounds like to me that as we go through this book, that before Jesus comes again, that sense of tribulation is much more globally for the Christians. And, um, and that is what we need to be honest about as well. Uh, for the future generations, uh, we can't just say, the golden age is still awaiting you, and then Jesus comes again, in my opinion. That would be the post-mill position, by the way. <laughs> the golden age, you know, everything is just getting better and better and better, and then Jesus comes again. Uh, I don't see that. I don't see it from Jesus' own words, and I don't see it so much in the, in the descriptions here, but I, I want to leave that aside. I want to say to you that the tribulation that John experienced with his brothers and sisters is the context that shows the, the contrast then all the more beautifully that God says to the church persecuted, to you and me today, whether we, it's us who live in relative freedom, 
and others not so much. I am your Lord. I am your King. I am your custodian. I am your Heavenly Father. And I will not let anything happen to you that I don't permit, that is not according to my will, because you are mine. Right? You have to remember that. We are possessed. We are the possession of... <laughs> we are the possession. We are, we are the, 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 the prized possession property. Uh, we're owned by the Master, Lord Jesus, our King, and our friend, and our brother. So the purpose, first of all, then. Well, the purpose, I think, is um, that these, uh, the, the whole canon of Scripture, but then particularly the message of Revelation, is spoken to a church in need, a church in tribulation, that is faced then with that challenge, how are we going to make it? So it's not first of all, the predictive part of it so much. I don't think that, that the book of Revelation is all that much concerned about that, being prophetically announcing things. It is the context immediate that is struggle, trial, temptation to give up on the faith that we have expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ because it is so hard to be a Christian when you have these situations that the church has known in the world where because of the gospel your child or your family member or your brother and sister in the church uh, uh, dies because of their faith in Christ. We talked with uh, Vicky about her friend from Turkey who lost her husband. It was an immediate result of persecution, of martyrdom, correct? And so, how are Christians going to survive when it gets so tough? Well, the Lord says in this book, don't give up. I am your Lord. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one who holds the keys of the kingdom. Nothing can happen to you. Nothing at all. Because I have begun to own you. I have given my life for you. And so the one who seems so powerful, Satan, the adversary of the church, the one who is after the woman with child in a later chapter in the middle of the book about, uh, he is the one who is powerful, but he is not all powerful. The Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus is the author of the creation, and he is certainly able to have victory. And that's not just a potential victory, it's an established victory. When the words of comfort are spoken to the church, it's not that you say to yourself, well, yeah, it, uh, is that really true? Uh, what, is, it con is, it, uh, is, is there contingency involved that uh, if A and B and C fall in place, then D is the result and we'll be okay? Uh, it is certain from the get-go that if you belong to Christ, if you identify with the people of God, then you are the forever people of God. And the forever people of God belong to the forever God, the great I Am, who has no beginning and no end. And so the purpose, I see, is to encourage Christians throughout the history of the church, 
because this is a message that is spoken to every single generation that came forth since the time of John. Um, every church had to ask itself the question, now is this message for us? Well, yes, for sure. Is this message such that in our day, this year, in our generation, all these things will be fulfilled and then the Lord has returned? Every generation has had reason to ask that question because Jesus said to his church, I will come again and take you to be with me. So now we have been hearing these words for 2,000 years. These words that say to the church, the bride of Christ, I'm on my way. Almost there. It's around the bend. 2,000 years. How can this be a message for us today still? Well, because God says so. That's the easy answer. <laughs> Don't have to argue with me when I say that. Um, God says so. It's a message spoken to the entire church, the entire <clears throat> Christian era. Um, so to prepare us all for the great day, the great day of Christ's return, because it is imminent. Imminent is, uh, the word soon is, of course, uh, sort of naturally understood by all of us here, and that is to say that, um, <clears throat> uh, well, let's just say a crazy example, but um, you know, the mayor of this city has said that he would stop by our church this morning, and um, uh, he said that he would be here at 11 o'clock. Well, it's almost 11 He's coming here soon. No, that makes sense, that kind of understanding of soon. Um, but uh, there is also a sense, commentators say, that uh, soon has the flavor of uh, suddenly. And if you understand it that way, then you can say, yeah, suddenly is not so much that I can say, yeah, this minute or that minute on my watch, but it is that sense of imminence. It is any time, any moment, any day in history that we as the church expect. That's why we really discourage in the Reformed tradition an approach to the book of Revelation that is done by other well-meaning brothers and sisters in the Lord that turns the book of Revelation, as it were, into some kind of identifiable timeline. Now this, and this, and that person, and that event. And then, you know, we, we sort of have a sense of what time it is on the clock, of God's clock in heaven. Um, it is not a timeline. Um, it's not a puzzle. When I was a chaplain at uh, Bethany Homey Ripon, uh, in assisted living, and particularly uh, the residents would uh, kind of, you know, uh, enjoy the, 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 the daytime hours uh, between naps, uh, <laughs> some of them, um, to uh, do puzzling. Um, and so they, I, it was really uh, fun to watch them, uh, men and women together working on a huge puzzle. Um, 
and uh, it would take sometimes weeks before this puzzle was finished. The Bible is not a puzzle book. Uh, the book, the, the Bible is not a puzzle. When we say, okay, we have this bit, uh, this piece, and this piece, and this piece, and let's kind of organize them by dispensations, or another way, we, uh, by themes or motifs, and then we can sort of think that we can put the puzzle together. Um, I think the Bible, by its very nature, uh, defies that kind of presumptuousness. Uh, what we are called to do is not to take the Bible as a puzzle, as a textbook, uh, as, a, as a manual of some sort, but it is the living book. It is the word of God. It is the spoken word of God that comes to every generation of Christ's followers in world history and says, I'm on my way. And I'm on my way, and that is not just a promise that I can't back up, but I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I, I, was, I died for you, and I was risen, and I'm alive, and I have the keys of, of, uh, over death and Hades. I'm on my way. That's enough. When Jesus just says that, I'm on my way. Because for the Lord, we have read that in our readings of Scripture. One day can be as a thousand years. That's the experience probably of the church, the Christian. Lord, how long will it be before you come? It feels like endless. But then remember also that from God's perspective, a thousand years are one day, as it were. The Lord's mathematics is not exactly our, uh, ours or ours his. We have to rest in the one who spoke to us his word, his final word, in the song. And he has said enough to you. I will be with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. So don't fret not easy is it to say that or to believe that um, because we do fret you know, we do have difficulties we have trials we have things that frustrate us um, and then we are worried about our country because we love our country but we are called to faithfulness no matter how the conditions will change the promises of God do not change. You've got everything you need to reach the end. And when you reach the end, you can't say, okay, I look back and, you know, I did it. Because when you cross that finish line, all you can say is, thank you, Lord. Because you gave your grace to me so that I could persevere. But nonetheless, as the refrain from each of these seven letters in the next chapter uh, suggests, we reach the end through, not because of, but through perseverance, through faithfulness to the one who is supremely faithful to us. So I'm not saying that there's cooperation in salvation but in the aspect of sanctification 
progressive sanctification, as we call it, uh, in distinction from definitive <coughs> sanctification that we already have perfectly and completely <coughs> forever in Christ, there is a collaboration of sorts between the Holy Spirit who indwells us and we who are called to obey the word of the Lord. So this is a book that was not just for John, but it was for the whole church. Um, Barnhouse. Does the name Barnhouse ring a bell for anybody? D.J. Barnhouse, 10th Presbyterian Church. Yes, Philadelphia. <laughs> Philadelphia. No, I've never heard of it. Phil. He <laughs> <laughs> was a preacher, at least before James Boyce, 5th Presbyterian. And um, I found this commentary downstairs in the hallway that you could have had, and you can still have it for me uh, when I'm done, uh, if you want it. But uh, Barnhouse writes this nice little phrase, the book of Revelation is the book for the present hour. It's the book that we need. You need this book. And that's why there's this urgency that says in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy, and, <clears throat> and not just uh, reads them out loud. It's kind of a, a, um, a uh, reflection, I think, of the continuation in synagogal worship where the Word of God was proclaimed, read audibly, publicly. Um, so that's the possibility there anyway. Uh, blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep it. So very important that we open this book, and relatively big book, uh, if you look at it compared to others, uh, it's got a big message for us. Us. Any age, but us now. Read it. Hear it. And biblical hearing is always with the spirit-filled attitude of, of listening to respond. And then do that. So read it. Hear it. Keep it. It's not enough to say, oh, that was a good sermon, or not so good, whatever, but I've heard the Bible have uh, read and so forth. Uh, what do you do with it is always the question, the so what question. Well, the so what question of the whole book of Revelation is that you keep the word that you have heard proclaimed to you. And the word is not so much that you are tasked with some specific task, but that you keep the promise that God has given to the church, that you trust the promise keeper, the Lord himself, when he speaks his words to us. And when we do, then notice the first word is blessed. In the Greek, it's the word makarios. And some of the Eastern Orthodox uh, church leaders, I shall say, some of them were named makarios. And so, blessed one is probably how that would typically be translated. Um, um, but blessed can also mean happy um, and so a Christian happiness I would like to think that is uh, the blessing that we experience when we hear the word of God we have heard it spoken we hear it and we keep it because there is no greater joy, there is no greater blessing than when we keep the word of the Lord, when we put it into practice, 
when you face your trials and your troubles and your opportunities as well, that you, with the Lord and in the Lord, pursue your path in this world. Because you are, sounds a little trite, but you are a winner. You are on the winning team. There is no other team. There is no more game to be played. You have a few left. But for the church, there is no game to be played anymore. Victory is ours. Resurrection life is ours now, today, for the church to enjoy. But you can't have Christian joy apart from the word. So that word needs to be heard. It needs to be spoken. It needs to be proclaimed. So that others can join us in the celebration of hearing the word that sets us free from our sins and our misery. And gives us on top of that eternal life with the one in whose presence we shall stand one day. And we'll just fall down. Plop. <laughs> down. All of it. <clears throat> because we will be so impressed with that glory that we, you know, couldn't have possibly somehow really, really anticipated. Other than by what we have been told about that. But when John sees him, and I believe he sees Christ. In his manifestation, he sees Christ himself because it is the word of Christ. It's Christ's message. <coughs> Possessive genitive in the Greek. It is Christ's message that the church needs and is given. And so Christ speaks. And what do we do when Christ speaks? We say yes. We bow down. We say amen. It is so, Lord Jesus. And so this book addresses the church. It comes from God, nowhere else. There's nothing in this world that can beat this message. It comes from God, through Christ, through the angel, to John, to the churches. The seven churches. Seven is the number of perfection. It is then addressed to the whole church. Even if there are these single, the seven individual churches listed. Right? From Ephesus all the way to Laodicea. And the Vectis who have just been in that area, they know and recognize some of these names. Uh, but we also realize quickly, these were not the only churches there. Why did God list these seven and not also maybe uh, the, another one that we're familiar with, Lystra or something else? Uh, we don't know that. But it is also not the point. The point is, these are addressed as representative of the entire church. Because the message for Thyatira or Sardis or Philadelphia, whatever, they are messages for us as well, for other churches as well. They are pinpointing strengths and weaknesses that we would say are um, um, normal in the history of the Christian church. And uh, that which was a challenge for them then is uh, a challenge for us today as well, because we may not have to deal with the Nicolaitans. I'll try to explain it another time. But uh, you know, it's apparently one of these uh, teachings of the day uh, in which, uh, uh, which was a teaching that was drawing people away from the pure gospel truth. 
Um, we can come up with our own varieties of that today. And so there's a message of warning here as well. It is the blessing to those who are ready to hear and respond. And it is also a word of caution for those who are not the church. Because the one who speaks here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks and in, in such a way symbolically portrayed as the one who by his mouth or from his mouth has a two-edged sword. Now, that doesn't sound like, um, like a nice little wand, you know, that makes things happen. No, this is the one who is the judge. And he is the judge of all nations. And when they see him, they will not only bow down, but they will weep and they will wail. Because the seed, the one, the unbeliever sees the one whom we in Adam have crucified. And so this one who comes to speak words of comfort to the church is the one who comes with uh, the presence of holiness and of justice to say, and when I come, those who are not ready, those who have not received my word and believed myself as the savior of the world and placed their trust in me, uh, they will be without comfort. And not just then, but forever. And so there's real intensity here, isn't there? There's real urgency uh, between, behind all these words that are spoken. Um, and by the way, interesting uh, side note is that um, this, uh, this phrase that we see several times, him who is and who was and who is to come, that was a phrase originally attributed to Zeus, the Greek god Zeus, who was and who is and who is to come, was said of him. John, through the word of Jesus, is saying to the churches, when you live in that pagan environment and you're called by others to give up your faith and to do what you always used to do, act normal and be a Greek and go to the temple whether it's male prostitution or, or female prostitution that goes on there and all the offerings that you make to this God and that God and you declare Diocletian and others Lord. How tempting that would be because it might save your life. It might save your business. Um, Christ is saying to the church, not Zeus, not a government, not a nation, not some organization. I am the God of the universe who created life. I am who I always have been and always will be. And I am the one who is appropriately given this, this title, if you will. The one who is and who was and who is to come. And then uh, the, the message, it seems like I've said already so much about the message, uh, but uh, as a final point, uh, the message uh, is more specifically yeah, maybe delineated in verses 9 uh, through the end of that passage. Um, the message is, your deliverance is on its way. The deliverer is on his way. Um, the world scares us. 
with its open hatred, uh, and increasingly I feel in, in our own society as well, that we begin to feel that we're more and more cornered <coughs> as Christians. Um, but again, don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, on Christ who is um, the one who is at the beginning and the end. We are safe under his custody. The bride is coming. Yes, we say sometimes, Lord, how long will it be yet? Uh, we've been waiting so long. But the promise is enough. I'm on my way. I am coming. Soon it will be. Forever made true. Soon uh, I will place you in my presence where you experience what you cannot experience now yet. Forever joy. Forever shalom. Forever wholeness. All the parts in this created order that are out of alignment physically, mentally, emotionally, just to start there, then the environment, and then the social structures, political structures, and so all these things that seem distorted, um, 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 the image of God in us uh, no longer clear, um, that will be restored in that day when the <coughs> Alpha and the Omega returns. For now it is enough when John falls down in fear, I believe. He was afraid of what he saw, who he saw. But the word spoken to John is the word spoken to you. The message is, do not fear. I have overcome the world. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one who holds the past and the present and the future. It's something that we don't often realize, but for God, the future is just as real as the past and the present, chronologically speaking, historically speaking. To us, future is what has not yet been fulfilled. But from God's perspective, that, doesn't, that is not necessarily true. God is not with us looking at the clock. And so we have to remember that we are really talking about two different dimensions of understanding. And interestingly, at least I think it's interesting, in the Greek grammar, there is such a thing that is called the aorist form. It's a kind of perfect form. And then there is an aorist that is called the futuristic aorist. Are you all confused and you say, well, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, you can't have it both. But that is the nature of, of, um, of revelation, of prophetic revelation, that from God's perspective, it is as if already realized for you. So the futuristic aorist is used here to express to us, you think all things can get wrong yet. But I tell you, it's already there. The one who first came is going to finish his coming when he comes again. So do not fear. Be filled with joy. Let that be reflected in your life this week. 
Let that be reflected in our worship. That we are an expectant people. We have reason to be expectant. We have reason to be hopeful. Because we know by faith that the one who spoke doesn't lie. Because everything that he has promised, he has fulfilled. And those things which historically, from a time perspective, await fulfillment, there is no doubt that they too will be fulfilled. Because the one who speaks them is the guarantor. He stands guaranteed for the one final moment. We call that the consummation. When Jesus returns, the day of the Lord has been completed. This is a book that is for the present hour. Not the past only, not something that is future yet. It is a book for today. May the Lord bless us as we take these messages to heart and we trust and we obey the Lord who calls us to be his faithful followers. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the good news that we are a forever people because we belong to the forever God. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will keep us close to you because we have still tendencies, Lord, to, as it were, go back to Egypt, where life perhaps is easier for us. Um, but, Lord, we are called to, to, to be where we are and to serve you where we are in the time period of history that we're in because we know that your word hasn't lost any of its strength. And so you do not change, your word does not change, and we take your word, Lord, to heart. Help us to believe, help us to trust, and to keep going back to your word, Lord, to be reminded that you are an ever-faithful God, and you will keep us under your custody until the day of glory comes. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.